The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 143. At the end of the episode, I will play Beyond Brightside chapters 27 and 28, uh, narrated by Darren Elliker. Hopefully you guys are digging that. Only three more chapters left, uh, so I'll be played in either next week or maybe in two weeks. We'll finish it up. Um, not a whole lot going on, although I am glad that uh, TBI or CT, What the Hell is Wrong With Me, is now available in paperback. It feels good to finally have that out in print so I can get some, finally start really marketing it. Uh, the hard case was supposed to be out last month, but there's been all these problems. So I went ahead with the paperback that is now available. I will let people know when the hard case is out. But for now, save yourself a couple bucks and get the paperback. Uh, other news. Oh, I have a post-holiday horror giveaway going on. Try not to die giveaway. Uh, pretty cool prizes. Eight randomly selected winners. No cost to enter. U.S. residents 18 and over. Uh, you can win... There's eight different prizes. Uh, you get to choose which one you want. One is an Ice Nine Kills $35 gift certificate or death certificate. Uh, some horror blanket, horror movies, um, a horror movie tumbler, a something, some party game, horror party game, and then four different sets of books. Uh, two by Duncan Ralston. I uh, really like The Midwives. Uh, the excellent book and his book Womb. Uh, two by Joe Hill. I haven't read those yet, but they look good. Um, Twisted Reunion and Untold Mayhem signed by me. And Trying to Die, books one through four signed by me as well. Uh, so those are the prizes. That is now out. If you're on my Facebook group, private group, uh, Dark and Disturbing Fear-Filled Fiction, you probably already saw it. I also have links on my Facebook page, uh, maybe Instagram, I'm not sure, Twitter, whatever. So that's out there. Good luck. No cost to enter. Um, share with your friends. That'll be awesome. Reason I'm doing it is to get more newsletter subscribers. Just bring brand awareness to myself and to try not to die. I can use all the help I can get. So if you know someone who would dig it, please share it with them. Uh, other than that, man, not a lot going on. Just spending a lot of time being good with not doing a lot. Uh, I've been going to the park with the family, which has been awesome. So, you know, part of my mind says that's not doing a lot. I'm not being productive, but it's awesome. I'm getting fresh air. We're having a good time. It's relationship. It is exercise. So it's all these things. So instead of it looking like not productive, it's super productive. Um, same with this morning. I did yoga first thing in the morning. Like, well, eight o'clock. I was up probably since five, eight o'clock. Did yoga with my buddy. Again, an hour, hour and a half of, uh, you know, what seems like, some people might think of it not being very productive, but that definitely fueled me for the rest of the day, made me a lot calmer, let me handle some stressors uh, much, much better. Things that would have definitely stressed me out if I had not been in that mindset, uh, I was able to handle no problem. So that was cool. And it is the kids last week of winter break. And so I spent a lot of time just hanging out with my son, staying up later, watching shows, playing with them during the day. Uh, not every day, but a lot. A lot more than usual uh, and it was it was fun it was good uh, and again it was a good use of time so he liked it i liked it and uh really you know i don't need to be working all the time 
yesterday I had my first guitar, well, a guitar session with my cousin Marco uh, from Germany, and that was went really well. I almost didn't do it because I was disappointed in myself because I haven't practiced. I haven't probably, I mean, I picked up the guitar a couple times in the last three weeks. Instead of, you know, I was going to practice every day, and then when holidays hit, I just lost focus, didn't want to do it. Um, and then I got to the point where I was like beating myself up and I thought I had let him down and myself down. I didn't want to do classes anymore. Wasn't sure if I want to make the time commitment, but we had a cool talk and, uh, no, he just reminded me that's natural. It's good to take breaks. And if I'm enjoying it, then to stick with it. And I do enjoy playing it. So yeah, I'm going to keep on doing it. And, uh, and it's also a good reminder, you know, if there is something that brings you joy, then to continue to do it. Sometimes it's really hard to make that decision. Like, you know, um, it's easy to, lately I've been playing a lot of video games, nothing wrong with video games, but if it's taken away from some of these other things, I was like, okay, it's good for my brain to play music. I always feel better when I play music. So let's make sure, you know, cut off 30 minutes of video game time or whatever it might be and add in 30 minutes of guitar. So that's not promising I'm going to do that every day, but that kind of thinking is what I'm going to work on i want to create that kind of mindset so uh, those are the types of things i am telling myself so i'm going to leave you with that hopefully you got something cool from it um i've got work to do i got my family to take care of tonight so let's wrap this thing up leave you with these two chapters from beyond Brightside, narrated by darren elliker chapters 27 and 28 hopefully you guys are digging it and i will talk to you next week later Chapter 27 Becky's clad in black, looking badass, submachine gun strapped to her chest. She disables the shack security system with a sweep of her boot, knocking loose the 4x4 wedged against the door. Time to go. I'm sitting on the mattress in matching black sweatshirt and pants, figured since we're the bad guys, we might as well start dressing like them. Becky sets the wood to the side. I think it might have something to do with not being seen. With someone else, maybe I'd get irritated at the sarcasm, angry they were in my head. But with Becky, I only smile. I've given her access to everything, be it good, bad, or nothing. There is that, too. She slips on her black beanie and shrugs on her orange sweatshirt. Looks like a shriveled-up pumpkin. A pumpkin? She shakes her head but keeps the grin in playful voice. Nice to know how you really see me. My gun's holstered on my hip. Safety off because we left that zone a long time ago. Becky's my mission, keeping her safe until I can't. You ready? She asks, like we're headed to a sock hop. This is the least ready I've felt for anything, but I say, let's do it. She giggles. Oh, shit, you are old. Sock hop? I don't really call it that. Becky throws her backpack over her shoulder, says... Well, if you do a good job, I'll ask Tone to take us to the diner for a root beer float. Laughing hurts, but gives me hope. <laughs> How do you stay so positive and happy? Happy is not the right word. Just appreciating what we have, living in the present. She bends down and snaps her fingers. Come here, boy. I forgot about Mello, curled up at the far end of the mattress. He lifts his head and hobbles over, rubs against Becky's cheek when she picks him up. Are we leaving him here until we return? Becky holds Mello with one hand, pulls me up with the other. With only a few inches between us, 
she sets her eyes upon mine. No hope, just certainty. You know we're not coming back. I pretend she's just talking about this shack and say, I know. She rises onto her toes and places the lightest kiss on my lips. Let's do this. Becky slides the plywood to the side, brushes the blanket out of the way. She steps into the night and pauses, taking everything in. All clear. I exit the shack, don't bother putting the door back, follow Becky between the tents. She stops beside the trash can fire, the flames lighting the battered face of an angel. I think she's giving me a chance to catch my breath and tell her, I'm okay. Becky doesn't respond, her attention focused on the tent to our right. I can't see what she's looking at, so my hand drops to my holster. I step beside her. See, she's looking at the bald guy with the graying goatee, sitting on a crate outside his tent. He's braiding the hair of the little girl in the yellow shirt. Becky walks over to them, stops a few feet away. Do you mind if I interrupt? The man's eyes match his mustache. Not at all, he says, much gentler than I'd expected. Becky kneels in front of the girl who's braiding her doll's hair. What's your name, sweetheart? The girl looks up but doesn't say a word. Hi, Isabella. I'm Becky, and this is my friend Joe. The girl smiles, but I'm too far away to hear her thoughts. I was hoping you could do me a favor. Isabella studies Becky with deep blue eyes. I need someone smart, strong, and loving to watch after this guy, she says, holding Mello up to rub on her face. You seem like you would be perfect. Do you like cats? The girl nods her head, looks back at her father. Before he can say no, Becky hands him a roll of bills. This will help with food and whatever, maybe get you somewhere safer. He flips through the bills, his eyes wide. There's nowhere safer, he says, and hands it back. Becky shakes her head. That's for you guys. There's also a shack back there that's a little sturdier, has a mattress. The bathroom needs cleaning. Isabella looks at her father with puppy dog eyes, begging for the kitty cat. The man says, If you want to keep him, you need to tell her yourself. Isabella spins around, the half-finished braid flying, her smile so big, eyes shining. Becky says, You're well out loud, he says, stern but calm. There's a moment's hesitation. Then she locks eyes on Becky. Becky says, who cares what anyone thinks? I'd like to hear you. The girl stammers before starting over. Th th thank you, B Becky. You're absolutely welcome. I know you'll take great care of Mello. Becky kisses his head and hands him over. Got him? Isabella nods, holding him tight like he might run away. Mello? Short for Marshmallow. It's a dumb name. No, I like it. Isabella rubs her cheek against Mello. He's so, so soft. In case you don't speak cat, Mello says I did a good job picking you. Isabella smiles, then gets a little sad. What's wrong, honey? Becky points at her bruised face. Is it all this? I'm okay. It doesn't hurt. The man puts his hand on his daughter's shoulder and says, Isabella's a smart girl. She figured out who you guys are. Becky nods, 
clears her throat. It's all good, sweetie. I honestly couldn't be happier at this moment. Thank you for that. Isabella bursts into tears, the two of them hugging Mellow between them, a life-size s'mores. Becky's cry turns into laughter. She tells Isabella, he just called us graham crackers. That gets Isabella laughing, and a humongous grin from her father, who's absorbing the shit out of this moment, because you never know how long you've got. Becky's explaining some cat care tips, but I get a bad feeling and search for a sniper. Fuck, for all I know, we're in someone's crosshairs. Mello gets one last pat on the head before Becky gets to her feet. It's okay, Joe. Relax. I hadn't realized I was swaying back and forth, but I can't stop. My vision doubling. Becky rushes over. No, no, no. She takes hold of my arm, but I can't see her. Everything black. My hearing getting fuzzy. Sit, sit. I got you. I obey, ass to the ground, the jolt shocking me awake. Oh, fuck. Breathe. You're okay, my angel tells me. Breathe. Becky leads me up the hill by the hand. She said I wasn't out long, but I feel better. Hope that was just the rest my body needed. A fresh little recharge, face first in the dirt. If only my mother could see me now. If only my mother could see. Her eyes so big, so green, so empty. What was the last thing she saw? Hopefully it was fast. Maybe she didn't see it coming. Stop it. Enjoy what we have, Becky says. Come on. We don't want to be late for the sock hop. I say sure, but the blood doesn't stop dripping from my mother's severed head. Okay. What about... Hmm. Becky taps her chin, pretends she's reading my mind. How about we survive this thing, and we go on a real date? Where no one shoots at us. And real food. And a bottle of Jack, I say. The ridiculousness of our relationship smacking me hard. I break down in tears. So fucking ashamed for crying. For not being a man. Becky holds me. We don't have much more to get through. One more round. We can do it. I'm not a fighter like you. Then that's some bullshit about me still at number five. I'm pretty sure I beat your body count. I'll gladly concede my spot. You know, so you can win and all. She pecks me on the cheek like I were mellow. Holy hell, you're a needy one, she says, leaning in and planting a soft kiss on my lips. That's what I've heard. I take her hand and let her lead the way, concentrating on my breathing so I don't faint. Becky squeezes through the fence and holds it open for me. I can't get up without her help. Some goddamn hero. She helps me up, hums the G.I. Joe theme song. <laughs> Probably got it off Danny. That's not funny. Becky leads me through the bushes. Wasn't meant to be. They murdered your friend. They murdered your mother. They murdered my family. She turns around. Screw being a hero. I'm exacting vengeance. There's no van parked on the street. Where are they at? Becky heads right on the sidewalk and nods toward the blue motorhome parked around the corner. The window above the cab is curtained, a small part where the sliding middle window is open an inch. I can't make out the driver, the boots baseball cap hiding his face. He tips his cap, dirt's rock-solid expression same as always. We go to the back door, and Becky helps me inside, leans me against the stove because the table is full. 
All I can see of the guy sitting across from Tone is the back of his head. Johnny stands beside them, and Chip's on his belly in the bunk, laptop in front of him, sniper rifle to the side. Chip looks up from the computer. Meaning me, he asks, You okay? Becky thinks, He's fine. But she's tapped into Tone, the motorhome so somber, the air heavy. What is it? Becky asks. How bad? Tone said, Very. They took out underground headquarters. He ducks his head, averting her eyes. Televised their executions. Chip says, Same exact hashtags we used. Neither of us knows what to say. I'm sorry about your friends, Becky tells him. I figure Becky means in general, but both she and Tone are thinking about Shine, Bill, Curtains, Bolo, Toby, and Jay. Team two. Just hit them. Gomez, the only one who escaped. Can we do it on our own? The man sitting with his back to us says, Only one way to find out. I lean over to make sure it's actually him, that I'm not hallucinating. Dad? Tone gets up and squeezes into the front passenger seat. Johnny moves out of the way so Becky can help me around. My father winces when he stands. His blue polo is clean, but the front of his jeans are marked by a fresh blood stain. He wraps me in his arms, buries his face against my good shoulder. I'm so sorry, Joe. So fucking sorry. He takes a deep breath and breaks off the hug, his tears scaring me. But so goddamn proud. Are you okay? He smiles. I'll live. I don't have the courage to say the same thing, to lie to his face. Dad points for me to sit. I didn't say for how long. From the front, Dirt says, Well, how about another hour or so? We're about 45 minutes out, 55 tops. Dad's sitting across from me, Becky's shoulder rubbing mine, barely enough room for us at the small table. She's afraid she doesn't belong and tells me. I can stand. I pat her leg and tell my dad. Becky's the only reason I'm here. She's my mission. Dad looks ten years older than he did last week, his dusty brown eyes brimming with death and disappointment as he considers his mission. I can't believe it's only been a week since I've seen him. He nods. I completely understand. I'm glad he's too preoccupied to dig deeper into Becky to question my decision. Thanks. So, how are you holding up? It hurts to laugh, but the other option is crying. <laughs> Fucking barely. He thinks of what Tone and the others have said about me, that I probably don't have long. The look of worry and concern is so foreign on his face. Dad's never worried, usually just mad. What about you? He shakes his head. All the years spent planning for this type of situation... Yet I never once considered this possibility, that they'd turn the entire world against us, make us the scapegoat so they can control the country. My entire life was spent avoiding him and Mom, so afraid to hear their thoughts, how much of a disappointment I was. I embraced anger, contempt, and all the shit that made a man but ran from anything that resembled weakness. But that life is over. This moment all we got. 
My sobs scares me. I can't stop seeing her. Dad reaches across the table and grabs hold of my hand. I know, he says gently. No yelling, no soldiering up. Believe it or not, but I love that woman more than anything. I never believed that, but took him at his word. And she loved you. That is harder to accept. Becky's squeezing my thigh under the table to let me know she's there. That I am lovable. That my father is speaking the truth. I can't thank either of them, my voice gone. I give my dad a small smile. Realize he's just another man who's been through hell. And given up everything. Makes you think, huh? I say, but not like I'm being a dick. Like maybe we fucked up pretty bad. Like maybe all this was the biggest mistake ever. What could we have done differently? Run, hide, not jump into the middle of it. Dad shakes his head. No, all this, he says, spreading his arms wide, a grimace as pain rips through his stomach. All of it was inevitable. They had this planned for such a long time. But did it have to be us? Joe, it had to be someone. Dad takes off his glasses and cleans them on his shirt. I'd rather fight for what I believe. Fight for what I love. Becky squeezes my leg. We understand. At least I do. I lean against the wall, the glass window cool on my forehead. The wheels on our bus go round and round, round and round. Becky says, wake up. She shakes my shoulder. You okay, Joe? Dad asks. I keep my eyes closed, a furnace raging in my chest. I feel fucking awful. Hope it'll get better in the next 30 minutes. 12 minutes. 11. I hadn't thought it was out that long. I barely have the strength to lift my head off the window. I feel like such a failure when I admit. I don't know if I can make it. From up on the bunk, Chip says, We've got something that'll help. Give you some clarity and energy. What? It's a temporary fix, Dad says, nodding at the small black bag beside him. A little cocktail I put together. I call it the Berserker. Becky asks, Do we want to know what's in it? Let's just say only one of the seven substances wouldn't get me arrested, and that's the water I mixed it in. Cocaine? <laughs> and then some? I expected Dad to be looking at me, surprised that I'd experimented, but he's focused on the yellow pad in front of him. I made enough for everyone. A little clarity before battle? Becky trembles, squeezes my thigh. Should I? I turn to her my beautiful angel all banged up. Your body, your choice. I've never done drugs. Well, I wouldn't worry about a piss test. It's not that. Dad says, I'm doing a half dose, fortifying my body and mind, keep me focused on completing the mission. Johnny's sitting on the stove, tossing a grenade back and forth. I'll have what Joe's having. Chip climbs down from the bunk and grabs the black bag. He sticks his head in the front. Assuming no for you two? Correct? No, count me in. I tell Becky, there's no pressure, no judging. Do what you want. She blows out the breath she's been holding. I'm with you. 
Chip sets the black bag on the table, Johnny scooting beside him. Eight minutes out. And let's get this rodeo started. I jump when Chip drops a black tube on the table. Shit, I thought it was a snake. I suggest using it if you've got bad veins. Dad picks it up and wraps it around his bicep, makes a fist. I've hated needles since I passed out giving blood in second grade. I turn the yellow pad so I can see what looks like a huge rectangle around a bunch of squares and arrows, lines going this way and that. What is it? Dad waits until Chip pulls out the needle. Oh boy, he says, rubbing the cotton swab up and down his arm. He points at the pad. That's our mission. I blink away some of the cloudiness, flick my ear to keep me awake. Looks like a giant house. Dad unties the tube and hands it to Johnny. A mansion in Bel Air. We got a party to crash. Chapter 28 Breathe. The whisper's weird coming from me. Becky's curled on my lap, hands hiding her face. I'm propped against the back door, praying it doesn't pop open and dump us both head first on the street. Breathe. She shakes. Shouldn't have done this. I hold her tight and say, It's gonna be okay. Because I'm a fucking liar and she did the exact thing for me two hours ago. Holy shit. Holy shit. Is all she keeps thinking, rocking back and forth. I stay calm. My mind the sharpest it's been since this mess started. My heart beating like a horse sprinting down the track. It's okay. I place a light kiss on the back of her beanie. Breathe in the perfume mingling with all of our sweat, fear, and sickness. It's just the drugs. You gotta chill. Our roles have completely reversed. The first time Becky isn't on top of the situation. I can't. I can't. I can't. The saddest mantra I've heard from her. Maybe you can't. When Becky started tripping, thinking of jumping out the door, I worried we all got a bad dose. But not anymore. The cocktail's working wonders for me. My pain nearly gone. The nausea, a minor inconvenience. It's my turn to be the strong one. I believe it when I think, but together we can. Becky grabs my hand, presses it to her slippery cheek. I don't want to die. Not on my birthday. Not any day. Then don't. Joe, we're out of chances. This is it. I've had plenty of time accepting my impending doom, but only my own. The movie in my head always ending with Becky making it, living a wonderful life, experiencing everything she dreamed of. That dream feels way more like a fairy tale now, but I stay positive and parrot advice Sharon had passed on. We're alive right now, and right now is all that matters. From the front, Dirt says, Pulling over in one minute! Chip pops his head out from the bunk. I'm in their system and loop the feed. No telling how long we've got before they figure it out. I wipe Becky's tears. Right now, I'm giving comfort to a beautiful soul who's done ten times that for me. Right now is special. Johnny walks over to Dad, who's lying on the table, his legs dangling off the edge. How you doing, Hank? He asks, offering his hand. How's it feel? Oh, boy, Dad says. His face scrunched up when Johnny helps him sit hunched over, elbows on his knees. Barely felt a thing. Johnny laughs and hands Dad a tiny scrap of shiny metal. 
and they said I wasn't smart enough for med school. Dad looks at the medal and says, How cute. I should have kept Joe's and made us matching necklaces. He tosses what I'm guessing is a bullet onto the floor and uses his hands on his knees to straighten up. God damn, that cocktail ain't no joke, Chip. Keeping his head facing the front window, Chip says, Only the best for you guys. Dad looks about the RV, spots us. Johnny, you watch after them. Johnny helps Dad to his feet. You know it. Becky's been too busy listening, her panic subsiding. While she's in the right frame of mind, I tell her, You got this, Becky. You ready? She wraps her arms around mine and makes me squeeze tighter. I don't want this to end. I don't either. Whether she means the hug, the closeness, or our lives, it doesn't matter. I'm right there with her. But Dad is saying his goodbyes and heading our way. I tell her, Come on, we got this. On our feet. Becky lets my arms go and sits up a little. Sucks back snot. I'm sorry. No apologies. Let's do this. Pretend we're kids playing cops and robbers. It's not a game. Kind of is. And we've been pretty damn good at it so far. The motorhome slows and pulls to the curb. I pat Becky's back and think, And who wants to get old and sick anyway? All the stress of not knowing what's going to happen, when you're going to die, if it's going to be a heart attack, stroke, car accident, or cancer. Dad stands a few feet away from us, his polo spotted with fresh blood a few inches above his waist. He points at me and says, Your arm. I hadn't realized it, but I'm rubbing Becky's back with my left hand, my arm out of the sling. I test it up and down, side to side. Nearly no pain. Becky, we've got a chance to make a difference. Becky stands and helps me to my feet. I glance over at Dad and think loud so they can both hear. A wise man told me nerves are there for a reason, to prepare our body for performance. I take off the sling, throw it on the stove, hold her close, breathe deep, and get ready for the final match. Becky hugs me tight and says, Thank you. Her voice calm like her mind. Hate to break this up, Dad says, but I've got some work to do. I let go of Becky and face my father, the man I hated for all the wrong reasons, never understanding who he was or why he acted. Dad shakes his head. No time for that, son. Even if my brain wasn't messed up, I'd be able to count our hugs on both fingers, no one in our family ever showing affection. I wrap my arms around him and try not to cry. I'm sorry. Be sorry for nothing. Dad steps back and takes off his glasses, tosses them into the corner. The lens is cracking. He waits for me to lock eyes. This isn't goodbye. I'll see you inside. Dirt takes a right at the stop sign. Everything clear in all directions, not a car on the street. The privileged all parking within the gates of their estates. Becky's doing better, standing by my side. Both of us holding onto the bunk. It seems like we should be used to this by now, but holy shit, this is it. This is the part of the game where you go against the big boss and we're out of extra lives. Becky nudges me in the side. Relax. We got this. It's nice having the old Becky back. Exactly what I need to keep me focused. 
but my heart, it's fucking racing. A goddamn motorboat with no brakes. She chuckles. Brakes? Chip's crouching on the bunk a few feet away. He smiles and said, It's just the crystal meth, caffeine, and a few other ingredients. Becky says, I need this for my next match. No one says a word, but we're all thinking that this is the next match. Our last match. Time to rock and roll, boys and girls, Dirt says, the turn indicator ticking. He takes us right at the stop sign and says, Approaching the rear of the property. Chip gives us a small wave and lifts the hatch directly above him. He stands on the bunk, his upper half sticking out the roof. He radios. Slow. Southwest corner is best option. Dirt says, Everyone, hold on. Becky and I are already clutching the bottom of the bunk, but I let go with my right hand so I can hold her closer. My last chance to make her feel safe. Chip says, Cut the lights. The street goes dark, and we thump onto the sidewalk, coast to a stop, the ivory-covered fence just inches from our passenger window. Chip says, Here we go. And there goes one boot, then the other out the hatch. From behind us, Tone says, Women first. Becky climbs onto the bunk, sword sheathed on her back. Without hesitation, she raises herself onto the roof. Tone and Johnny help me up, even though I could do it on my own. Tone claps my leg. Save your energy, soldier. The mattress is soft enough to sink into but difficult to crawl on. It is tempting to lie on the cool sheets and go out peacefully, but I made a promise. Chip says, Hold up, and lowers onto the bunk, scoots next to his rifle. Good luck, Joe. The night is darker than I expected, the breeze energizing. Becky's crouched near the edge of the motorhome's roof, looking past the manicured yard of green grass and hedges at the huge mansion a good fifty yards away. Seventy-five, she thinks, in total mission mode. I don't see a front door, just rows of brightly lit windows, eight on each of the first two floors, another four on the third. Guard to the left by the pool, another on the third floor balcony. Everything's blurry half that far, but I trust her. I'm almost to Becky when my foot gets caught and I fall forward. Becky sticks her arm out and pulls me onto her, saves me from the rows of razor wire spiraled atop the fence beside the motorhome. My heart's jackhammering, my mind matching it. It's okay. It's okay. Becky and I get to our knees by the edge of the RV. Johnny joins us with Tone right behind him. Tone whispers into the radio. Where's Sid? My dad and Chip both copy. Dirt says, you're a go. Tone picks up the rope I'd tripped on and tests the knot with a hard tug. Watch how I do it. Whatever you do, do not touch that fence. I've already imagined what those blades would have done to my face and don't need the reminder. He creeps to the edge of the vehicle and jumps, swings back toward the fence, letting go for a soft landing on the grass. Tone tosses the rope to Becky. Johnny tells her, go. Becky leaps without hesitation, Laura Croft swinging through the jungle, dismounting in a three-point stance, head scanning left and right. Johnny reels in the rope and offers it. Looks a little wobbly. I'm nervous about my shoulder and tell him, you first. Got it, he says with a smile. He jumps farther than either of them, but swings back faster. He thinks, oh shit, and lets go, but his momentum runs him face first into the fence. A loud crash and zap. 
crackling as the smell of burning flesh wafts past me. Tone says, fuck, and wraps the rope over Johnny's twitching body, rips him off the fence. A flashlight's moving over by the five-car garage to our right. It turns our way, both Tone and Becky scattering into the shadows. There's radio silence and a 12-foot drop, now or never. My feet spring off the roof as Tone radios. Guard coming. I land on both feet, a loud rip coming from my left ankle. There's a sharp sting, but I pray it was just the tape tearing. The radio clicks on. Stay down, Tone whispers. I bury my face in the wet grass, hope all my black blends in. Johnny's still crackling a few feet away, burnt hair and skin making me gag. The flashlight comes closer, the beam bobbing over the hedges. I figure I have a few seconds and grab Johnny's grenade off his belt, clutch it in my left hand tight to my chest. The beam flies over my shoulder, hits the fence. The grenade pin feels like it'll pop right out, but there's no time to switch hands, and I don't know how far I can throw with my bad one. Last resort, I'll blow myself to hell, not give these bastards the satisfaction of bringing me in. The voice shouts, Hey! And I'm sharing the spotlight with Johnny. What the? A thunk cuts him off, the thud of his body traveling through the ground. The flashlight clicks off, but I can't see anything. Footsteps approach. Becky thinks, it's okay. Let's move. I get up. Johnny's dead. She looks over at the boot, his head hanging on by a thick slice of ham. So is this guy. Come on. The berserker has heightened all my senses, but there's still shit. I have no idea where we're supposed to go. Tones to our left, Becky thinks, her sword dripping by her side. Stay low. Boot on the balcony and another round the corner. I follow her, hunched over like it's mission impossible, slipping the grenade in my cargo pocket and pulling out my gun. Ten times the fun of paintball with none of the worries about cleaning up after. Becky says, stick to the plan. The pool's an abandoned paradise in the shadows to our left, a piano playing inside the house straight ahead. Becky pulls me down to a knee, points at the bobbing beam of light approaching from the side of the cabanas. There were about 20 yards between us and the corner, the clank of a chain giving me goosebumps. Becky thinks, just stay still. Our back is to the bush. He won't see us. Fuck, his dog might. The Rottweiler is on a leash, the boot with a flashlight focusing straight ahead. The path they're on runs about 10 feet from us. No chance the dog won't pick up our smell. The dog stops and cocks its boxy head. Becky pulls me around the bush as the bark rips through the night. She puts me behind her and readies her sword. Stay down. Fander, the boot calls, but not very loud, like the dog does this all the time. Fender tears around the corner, five feet between us. He leaps at Becky, mouth open, ready to crush. Becky thrusts the sword, piercing his chest, 100 pounds thudding down on the ground. Holy shit, Becky thinks, steadying herself as she slides out the sword. Oh my fucking god. Fender's front paw is twitching. Come on, boy, the boot says, lighting up the grass an arm's length away. What is it? One step, two steps, three, and he turns the corner. Becky jumps at him, her katana missing his neck but slicing deep across his chest, the flashlight falling. The boot stands there petrified, remembers his gun too late because Becky's taking another swing. This one connects with his neck sends him to the ground. 
I grab Fender's paws and pull him deeper into the shadows, help Becky do the same with the boot. We're both breathing heavily, surprised we didn't shit our pants. Becky looks sick but shakes it off, peeks around the edge of the bush. My eyes are fully adjusted to the dark, the boot's face still shocked. One of the guys on the conveyor looked just like that, both eyes big, mouth open. Someone's brother, I'd called him. Just like this guy. Someone's brother. Becky's furious and turns on me. Stop it! She shakes her head to show she's not playing around. They're the enemy. Harris! Someone says right behind me, making me leap. Becky pulls me back down so I'm below the bushes. His radio, grab it. I'm picking it up and it says, Harris? What do I do? The boot on the other end says, Sounded like Fender. Becky says, Answer him. I've got no idea what Harris sounds like, so I keep it deep and muffled. Just a squirrel. The other boot copies. I go to turn the radio off, but he's still talking. Meet me at the front door, C-O-N. I say, copy, and power it off, toss it beside Harris. Becky thinks, we need to get in there fast. I kneel beside her and take in the scene. A house six times the size of the one Mom died in. We've got this. The boot on the balcony is the only one I can see, and he's facing the far wall. No one's looking. Stay right behind me. Becky runs straight for the thick row of bushes that backs up to the building. There's a small opening toward the middle. Becky squeezes through it and crouches below the windows. The sharp tip of a branch breaks on my forehead. An inch lower and I'd be blind. Becky points to our left where a small set of stairs is lit about 20 yards away. Tone's clearing the back door. The door swings open and a boot appears, gets on his radio. Ruford, come in, he says, a faster voice than the last guy. What's your 20? Why aren't you at your post? I ask Becky, where's Tone? Supposed to be controlling that door. Becky creeps toward the boot, prepared to sprint and stab him the second he turns our way. The boot's radio says, uh, Largent, you seen Harris? Largent stays on the porch, maybe ten feet from Becky. No idea how quick she is with that blade. He says, Last I saw he was rounding the front, maybe ten minutes ago? Becky slips a little closer. I can get him if I have to. That happens and you're straight through that door. Largent reaches for his belt and pulls out his flashlight, shines it back and forth across the yard. Becky's losing it, frozen to the wall. What do I do? Fuck, I guess get him. Hold up, Tone thinks, scaring the shit out of us. I'm right behind you. I look along the building in the opposite direction but can't see him. Largent puts away his flashlight and turns to the door. Disappears inside. All right, Tone thinks. We're missing out on the party. The window to my right slides open, lets out the music, a classical piece I probably once knew. Makes me think of a commercial with cats tiptoeing, but I'll blame that on the berserker. For Elise, Tone tells me. Now hurry up and get in here. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.